Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Psalms 85 and verse number 6. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse number 2 says, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to be able to effectively communicate what you would have me share with these people today. Lord, I pray that our hearts, God, would be would be passionate for revival again. Touch me, Lord. Touch me, Lord, to speak fluently and to clarify what needs to be said. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. The need for revival, Psalms 85 and 6 says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Habakkuk chapter 3, verse number 2 says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. All my life, as long as I can remember, I have been passionate about revival. I want God to move. I don't understand people that come to church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and they don't care if God moves or not. I mean, I know we can all have a bad day every now and then, and that's okay. I think all of us have permission to have to deal with that. But I think that overall, our lives should be going after God. We should be searching, reaching for Him. A church that's alive is a church that's in revival or a church that is chasing revival, a church that is passionate after God. The Bible said in Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 9 that the glory of the latter house or the latter temple will be greater than the glory of the former. We're living in the last days. We're living in the day and age when the glory of God is supposed to be moving upon the earth greater than it did when Jesus was on the face of this earth and the New Testament church. And just let me say this, just so you know, okay? This world is in revival. We may not be having it in America like we're used to having it, but this world is in revival. When they can pull together 30,000 people in a country like Pakistan and have 9,000 of them give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I call that revival. When the Ukrainian, when the Ukrainian Church of God churches, Ukraine, Ukraine this week reaches 101 Church of God churches in the country of Ukraine. And that's just Church of God. That's not talking about any of the other ones. That's revival. That's revival. I have a friend that just came back from South Africa. And, and he told me, he said, my goodness, he said, the glory of God, he said, was everywhere. He said, God would sweep that area. And, and he said, people would just fall under the power of God. That, that's, that's revival. That's revival. And he's wanting to go back to India because he came from India. He wants to go back to India to experience the move of God. Sometimes I think what happens is we get insulated in the United States of America bubble. And we forget to look around the world. But I want to encourage you to go home tonight or tomorrow or sometime this week, the rest of this week, and Google 
Christian revival or revivals around the world and see what God is doing around the world. We are in an awakening. We are in a global awakening. We're used to it happening either in England or in America first. This time, it's happening in other countries first, the places where we sowed our seed before. It's happening in other countries first, and I'm believing that it's going to go ahead and spill back over here into the United States of America. So the Lord declared in His Word that the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former house. And I don't think that we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're experiencing God in His fullness and the move of God in His fullness. Because in the New Testament church, and it's happening in different parts of the world, but in the New Testament church, sometimes there'd be three to 5,000 people saved in an entire day. In one day. Signs, wonders, and healings and miracles were commonplace. The, the shadow of Peter passing over people would cause the sickness to leave and they would be healed. Handkerchiefs from his body was given to sick people and sickness would be gone. That's revival. That's the move of God. The Bible said in Luke 24 and verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait until you are endued with power from on high. So that was a promise from Jesus to the disciples and to the church. He said, I'm sending my, the promise of the Father upon you, but wait until you be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible said, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We go to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we see when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. So we see how that they became endued with power from on high. In the Old Testament, or before Jesus resurrected, the Holy Spirit did come upon people, but on the day of Pentecost, He changed things and He started coming into people and flowing back out of people. And so that's the difference. So we go throughout the book of Acts and we see where there were people that were saved by the thousands. In fact, church historians say that the church at Jerusalem under the leadership of ministers like Pastor John Polycarp, in the first six months after Jesus ascended into heaven, church historians like Josephus will tell you that the church grew to as many as 60,000 converts in six months. 60,000 converts in six months. Now what fires me up about that is my Bible tells me that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So if God's going to pour out His Spirit in six months after the ascension of Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes down and 60,000 people are going to give their life to Christ, what's God going to do today? Benny Hinn went to Africa and had... Hundreds of thousands of people give their life to Christ. Reinhard Bunke in his largest crusade in Nigeria in three days had 1.3 million decisions.
for Jesus Christ. So don't tell me that God's not moving. He's moving around the world. What we have to do is we just have to get into the flow of it and we have to say, Lord, pour out your spirit here. Pour out your power here. God, we want to experience that here. The problem is, is the church, especially in America today, is, is powerless. For the largest part, they're powerless because... And I was thinking about it today and I, I just about made a Facebook Live and haven't done that in a while, in um, a week or two, and I just about made a Facebook Live post about it and I decided not to. I decided against it. But the problem with the church in America is we are bitten by entertainment theology. The lights have to be just right. The music has to be just right. It has to be more like a production than a worship service and all of these kinds of things. When I met my friend from Pakistan over there in Orlando, he made the statement. He, I said, aren't you worried about getting killed? He said, well, if they kill us, he said, they just send us to God quicker. And he wasn't kidding. I mean, that was just, that's just their mentality. And so they're out there baptizing. I've been seeing pictures. He's been sending me pictures. They're baptizing people in creeks. They're baptizing people in basins. They're baptizing people. And they're telling them, go home and don't tell your family you're a Christian. He said, because if they tell their family they're a Christian, their family will kill them. Their family will kill them. But it's not stopping them from winning all of these people to Jesus. That kind of not persecution, that persecution produces the dedication that is necessary to produce the power. So persecution doesn't produce power, but it aids in it. And so what happens is people just go all out for God. They just completely sell out to the Lord and they say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. It doesn't matter what they say about me. It doesn't matter what they do to me. Lord, just pour your power through me. When I was... 17 years old, I was the night speaker at a camp meeting in Kingston, Ontario. And the morning Bible teacher was a man that had spent 26 years in prison in Nepal. Do you know what his crime was? He baptized one person as a Christian convert. And they threw him in prison for 26 years. When he got out of prison, what did he do? He went back to the same street... And, and picked up where he had left off and kept preaching. Thankfully, the government had changed some and they didn't throw him back in prison and he was winning people to Jesus all over Canada. That kind of dedication is what it takes to produce the power. We grew up in church singing, Lord, send revival. We grew up in church singing, there's going to be a revival in the land. We, church, we, we sang that Carmen song, Revive us, O Lord, revive us, O Lord. We did that, and my prayer today hasn't changed. God, revive us. Lord, revive the church in America. Lord, revive Lakewood. Lord, revive Lakewood. I mean, we need revival. I've been saying it for almost a year. I tell my wife all the time, Lakewood needs revival. I tell the staff that. Lakewood needs revival. It's a good church. It's full of great people. This is a wonderful church. But, but as the pastor, in my heart, I know it's full of great people and wonderful people, but I want to see you more passionate about God than you are. I want to see you going after God. I'm not finding fault. I'm just concerned about your spiritual welfare. And that's my job, isn't it? That's my job. And I want to see us 
get more hungry for revival. Now, the definition of revival means to sustain life, to be restored to life or health, to cause to grow, to restore, and, a, and revival, and once something gets revived, that means that it's alive and it will grow and continue to bear fruit. That's what revival, that's the results of revival. Now, there's two kinds of revival in the Scripture. There's personal revival. David said, I will encourage myself in the Lord. So there's personal revival and there's corporate revival. And the corporate revival would be what we would call in the church a church revival where the power of God comes down. Revival is not for the lost. Revival is for the saved. I said revival is not for the lost. Revival is for the saved. The saved. Revival means to bring back to life again. And so when we say, God, revive us, what we're saying is, God, bring us back to life. Lord, help us to feel like we're living more than we feel like we're living now. Make us more passionate about you. Make us more passionate about the things that you're doing. God, get us excited. You know, I told the Lord the other day, I said, Lord, and I, and I still pray, but I told the Lord, I'm just going to be very transparent. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, help me to fall in love with prayer again. It doesn't mean I'm not praying. But I said, God, I need you to help me fall in love with prayer again. Lord, help me, help me to, be, to be excited when I know that there's a period of time on my calendar during the day where I can shut my door and tell Kim I'm shut in, leave me alone unless somebody's dying or crying when they come through. Don't, don't knock on my door. And I do that every now and then. I'll tell her, leave me alone. What happens when I do that? I get alone with God. I'll put worship music on. I'll sit back. Sometimes I'll pull my chair out and I'll kneel down at the chair. Sometimes I'll go around to the other. Sometimes I stretch right out in the floor and I just soak in the presence of God and I just start talking to the Lord and start ministering to Him and let Him fill us up. We need to pray that, don't we? Lord, help us fall in love with prayer again. Getting people to come here to pray before church is like pulling teeth. It is. It is. I'm observing, not fault-finding. I'm observing. And I'm praying, God, help our church want to pray. Help our church want to come and spend some time with the Lord. Help our church get passionate about the move of God. What do we, what do we look forward to when we come to church? Do we look forward, what, what do we, we look forward to more than anything else? Is it the people we see? Or is it what we're going to receive from God that day? See? And that's what I... Lord, I, I, want, I want us to get to the point where we can't wait to get to church because we know you're going to move and God, I'm going to get mine. What you've prepared for me, I'm going to receive it and I want to see us get passionate about that and hungry for that again. Now, what are some of the signs that a church needs revival? I've got six of them down here and, um, and these are just signs that a church needs revival. First of all, uh, a church that needs revival usually has quite a few people in it that are very easily offended. Very easily offended. That's one of the signs that a church needs revival. And especially this generation. You know, you can't have a conversation with this generation without them thinking you're hollering at them or trying to correct them. I'm serious. I'm serious. 
You can just have a conversation with them. And, and, they, and, and they think you're hollering at them. I mean, just talking like this. Quit hollering at me. I didn't even raise my voice. I'm just talking to you. Okay? Well, that offense is a sign that they need revival. This generation needs revival. The church needs revival. Um, another sign that a church needs revival is that people gossip easily. You know, you go for Bible study and when you leave... You really haven't hardly cracked the book, but you've talked about everybody and their brother and tried to figure things out, and you know, and you've come up with conclusions of things without any facts at all, and so you think you got everything all figured out, and you don't even know what you're talking about, and then you go start spreading it. I hear that. That happens over and over. You'd be surprised at the mess we have to clean up sometimes over things that people think. I'm just people will tell me I'm, I just scratch my head. Where'd you come up with that? Well, we was at a Bible study, and they were talking about it, and this is what they said. And I said, well, they don't even know what they're talking about. Well, that's a sign that a church needs revival. You go to Bible study, study the Bible. Study the Bible. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Lift one another up. If it's not conducive to lifting someone up, politely excuse yourself. You don't have to be rude about it. You don't have to say, y'all go to hell and get up and leave. You don't have to do that. No, 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 no. You don't have to do that. You can just politely excuse yourself and, and you just be a part of a group of people that's strengthening one another and encouraging one another and lifting one another up. A church that needs revival will compromise with and justify sin. They'll try to find an excuse to make sin right. A church that needs revival will act and talk like the world. A church that needs revival will put sports and personal entertainment over God's house. Woo, Jesus. Hello. And a church that needs revival, you know for sure they need revival because they're not reading their Bible and praying. The people aren't reading their Bible and praying like they should. So let's talk a little bit about the history of revival, okay? Throughout the history of the church, there have been times when God has sent His power to stir the people, to seek after Him. From the 1500s to the 1900s, I'm just going to hit three of them, okay? In the 1500s, we had what we called the Reformation, and that was Luther and Calvin's Reformation, and that Reformation was all about reminding us that we were saved by grace. Not by works, but we were saved by grace. Then in, the, then in the 1700s, we had what we called the First Great Awakening. And that's where Wesley and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, they evangelized, they preached to the lost in fields. They would get run out of the town and they would go to a field somewhere and preach and 10,000 people would show up and people would give their life to Christ. It was God. Jonathan Edwards had bad eyes. And when he preached the message, sinners in the hands of an angry God, he didn't preach it with theatrics. He didn't preach it with music in the background. He didn't preach it with lights and shows and production. He couldn't hardly read. He had it written. So he stood over the pulpit like this with his eyes and he read the message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He just read it and lost people screamed and cried out to God and came rushing forward and gave their life to Christ. And a great revival broke out over that famous message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. It wasn't the way he preached it. It wasn't the theatrics. It was the power of God. 
the power of God. In the 1900s, we have what we call the Pentecostal revival. In 1906, William Seymour at Azusa Street would be preaching, a black man, and he would be preaching. And they said that, that you couldn't get within a block of that, of that place where they were having revival. The Holy Spirit would just pull you right in and pull you to the altar to give your life to Jesus Christ. Then we go on in the Welsh revival of 1904. In 1904, there was a 26-year-old youth intern by the name of Evan Roberts that had been praying for revival since he was 15 years old. 26. So he'd been praying for revival for 11 years, and he, and he, he believed that God showed him that God was going to begin by pouring out His Spirit on Wales, Wales, England. And so his prayer for 11 years was this, bend me, O Lord. Bend me, bend me like as in prayer. Bend my knees, bend me, O Lord. So finally, a pastor let him speak following a prayer meeting and only 17 people stayed and most of them were youth and young adults. And they all ended up at the altar crying out to God until 2 a.m. in the morning and that week, 60 people were saved. In the next one and a half years, 100,000 people gave their life to Christ in Wales because a 26-year-old for 11 years prayed, Bend me, O God. Bend me, O God. It changed the national culture. Bars, liquor stores shut down. They're saying in some of the towns, the entire police force was completely dismissed. Revival broke out all over Wales and the, re and, and the prayer meetings would last. It was a revival of prayer meetings. It wasn't, like a, it wasn't like praise and worship and preaching. It was a revival of prayer meetings. And it is said that as many as 2,000 people would attend those prayer meetings and pray from 1 a.m. until 5 a.m. And they would pray. And they would go home, get a shower, whatever, go to work, come home, get something to eat, go to sleep until about midnight. And then they would go back at 1 o'clock and start praying again and pray for three or four hours. And that was the beginning of their day. The result was 100,000 people in Wales gave their life to Jesus Christ in a year and a half. Amy Simple McPherson, the founder of the Foursquare Gospel Church, was a farm girl from Ingersoll, Ontario, who preached her first message at the age of 17. And the whole, holy, that whole entire denomination, the four-square church, was birthed out of the healing ministry that God gave to Amy Simple McPherson. So the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, that when Solomon had finished praying that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Eleven verses later, we have that famous scripture, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. The point that I want to make in this part of what I'm sharing with you tonight is simply this. We can't have revival without prayer. We can desire it. We can expect it. We can want it. We can study about it. We can talk about it. But we can't have revival without prayer. And if we really want revival as a church, we're going to have to figure out why we don't want to pray and fix it and get to where we do want to pray. And so we need to pray and say, Lord, give me passion for prayer again. Lord, let me look forward to the time that I can pray with you. Now, you say, well, I pray all day long. I pray when I'm going down the road on my car. And we can do that. I do that too. But I'm talking about, you know, we schedule appointments for everything else. Why don't we schedule a time every day where we say, you know what? I'm turning my phone off. I'm telling my husband or my wife, you're not going to be able to get a hold of me during this time because this is my time with God. And go somewhere, even if you have to go in the bathroom at your house and lock the door and make everyone else think you're taking a bath or something, or something, okay? And spend that time with the Lord in prayer. 15 minutes. Start with 15 minutes. You'll be surprised. The first 15 minutes will seem like it takes forever. Within a week, you'll be like, oh my goodness, is 15 minutes over already? See? What happens is when the, when the parched soul begins to drink living water, it starts to want to consume. And the more it consumes, all of a sudden, ministries no longer work. Coming to church is no longer work. Serving God is no longer work. Ministering to people and reaching out to people is no longer work. It becomes a pleasure. It becomes a pleasure. Four keys to revival real quick like. I'm going to try to get it done in five or ten more minutes here. Humility. To admit our need for God. There was this... <laughs> Young lady, I, I told him I probably wasn't going to share it in the, in the office because I shared it with her today, but I think I'm going to share it. There's this young lady, she comes to her pastor, and she said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. And we're talking about humility now. Pastor, I need you to pray for me. And he said, well, honey, what's wrong? And she said, well, she said, I'm really dealing with this sin. And she said, I need the Lord to help me with it. He said, well, what's the sin? She said, well, she said, I know I'm the prettiest girl at church. And she said, I deal with that. She said, I sit there and I think about, you're the prettiest girl in here. And he said, honey, he said, that's not sin. You're just misguided. <laughs> Humility means that we focus more on God than on ourselves. Humility means that we know we need God. Humility means that we acknowledge that need for God. That we, many of us go through the whole day. Sometimes we go through the whole day without calling on Him. We say we need Him, but, but do we ever really call on Him? See, here is what Jim Cimbala, uh, who is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in Times Square, 
Here's what he said. This is a quote from him. He said, God is attracted to our weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need Him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for His power. Powerful man of God who went to Times Square and God has used him to transform that entire area, especially with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, him and his wife, and it is a church of revival. And so he reminds us that when we come on bended knee before the Lord, that that is the position of power. So humility is required for revival. The second thing, and we touched on it, is prayer. To pray in boldness and to pray with faith, to pray in the correct way. The Bible said in Mark eleven twenty four, 24, it says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things that you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Leonard Ravenhill. How many know who Leonard Ravenhill is? You ever heard of Leonard Ravenhill? Some of you have heard of Leonard Ravenhill. Some of you haven't. But he was a very famous revivalist uh, uh, in years gone by. Here's what he quoted. Here's his quote. He said, Faith's supreme longing is for the return of the glory that has departed from the sanctuary. If we today could rediscover the virtue in that name, the victory in that name, the violence against Satan in that name, we could set this world alight for God. Leonard Ravenhill. So it takes prayer. It takes humility. It takes prayer. The third thing that it takes for us to have revival is we need to seek His face. Tommy Tenney, that wrote the famous book, God Chasers. Has anyone in here read that book? God Chasers. Here's what he said. God Chasers are after the fresh presence of the Almighty. Sometimes their pursuit raises the eyebrows of the existing church. But usually they lead the church from a place of dryness back into the place of His presence. It's simply not enough to know about God. We have churches filled with people who can win Bible, Bible trivia contests, but who don't know Him. So a church that's in revival... And a person that's in revival is going to seek God's face. Psalm 63, 1 through 2 says this, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for you. My mind, my will, my emotions, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. My flesh longs for you in the dry and thirsty land where no water is. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. That's David's prayer, crying out to God. That should be our prayer. God, our soul searches for you. Our soul longs for you. We're in the sanctuary. We're in the place where your power is. We're in the place where your glory is. We're making ourselves available for the move of God. You see, we have to realize that revival is not a formula. It's falling in love with Jesus again. Can I say that again? 
Revival is not a formula. It's falling in love with Jesus again. And what's wrong with the church is they don't love Him like they used to. They don't love Him like they used to. Could you imagine if we loved Him the way that we should? I'm talking about the church as a whole, not just like, but I'm talking about the church, especially in America. I'm talking about this, okay? If the church in America loved God the way that they should, then they wouldn't be treating each other the way that they do. Because we're His body. If I hurt you, I hurt me. If I hurt Him, I hurt me. I don't just hurt me, I hurt you too. Because we're in this together. We need to love Him. We need to love Him. Now, let me say this. I just feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say it like this, okay? Because I think we need to, I, I need to get this point across. What if you treated your spouse the way you treat God? I'm talking about in the time that you give them. And as much as you talk, what if you didn't talk to your spouse all day long? Would they think that you loved them? See the importance of prayer, church? You see the importance of prayer? Well, I know God's all-knowing, and I know that He knows that we love Him. I understand that. But the point that I'm trying to make is we need to express that to Him not just for Him, but for us too. I don't know about those of you that are married, but when I tell Donna that I love her, unless she forces me to tell her that I love her, but when I tell her that I love her, it makes me feel good when I see how it makes her feel. In fact, it makes me feel like, hmm, yeah. Papa still got it. You know? And I think that's how it makes God feel when we spend that time with Him. Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 10 in the Amplified, he said, My determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him. Last thing. So... With revival, we need humility. We need to pray. We need to seek God's face. And then the last thing that brings revival is repentance. Repentance. Turning from our wicked ways. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we find where Jesus was coming. But before He came, God sent a forerunner to let people know that He was coming the first time. And what was the message of that forerunner? Repent and turn to God. That's what it was. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is He who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. 
and the Lord whom ye seek, you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's or launderer's soap. So we will see revival when we repent and pray and humble ourselves before God and seek His face. I don't know about you, but whatever it takes to be closer to Him, that's what I want. I'm through with mundane Christianity. Do you understand? Is that pretty clear? Huh? I want you to be through with it too. I want you to, I want him to be the greatest love of your life. Your most passionate pursuit. Your greatest focus. And the small group that comes on Wednesday night, which represents a much larger group, obviously, for Sunday morning. Just this group, if we would passionately pursue God, it would change this entire community. Not just our church, but this entire community. So my message to you tonight, and my encouragement to you tonight, now I can see you. My message and encouragement to you tonight is let's go after God. Let's get hungry for revival. Let's make these next few days times of... Let's have moments in these next few days where we sit down for five or ten minutes and we say, okay, God, I'm going to listen to you. Will you open up to me? Areas in my life that's keeping me from being close to you like I want to be. Because God, you are my most prized possession. I want to be close to you. Okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Come on. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., And remember, the word will work if you work the word.